They chased their answers, travelers through time and space, stopping anywhere long enough to learn, but briefly enough to escape involvement. The light in the distance grows brighter, even as the surroundings grow ever more bizarre. Questions grow darker, answers more involved, until reality itself becomes an academic concept, fit only to be dissected over a pleasant cup of tea. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Anybody in between? Transgenders? Ungenders? Non-genders? Monogenders? Bigenders? Bisexual? Bicurious? Anything. Trisexual? Pansexual? Plain old dirty-minded? <laughs> Everybody's welcome. Everybody who I didn't mention. This is Pagan Chaos Magic, the podcast. And this is episode 17. Gonna have a great time tonight. Um, I got an interview all prepped up with uh, Andrea Vitimus, the author of Hands On Chaos Magic uh, Reality Manipulation Through the Ovaki Current. Andrea is one of my favorite authors, uh, not just because I've had a chance to meet him and get to know him a little bit, <laughs> he's a pretty cool guy. Um, also, in, in my opinion, he's the real deal, and I tend to be very skeptical. But I've been to several of his classes, and I've uh, attended his ritual just here at Convocation uh, 2010, which I am going to talk about here in just a few minutes. And in my opinion, as a person who finds a lot of... Let's put it this way. When I go to a convention, when I go to a convention, there are serious teachers there. There are people of knowledge, especially at Convocation good reputation for really serious teachers, but there are always the posers, the fakers, the, the hangers-ons, the writers of books that don't do anything but restate in uh, a different format what everybody else has already said. And Andrea Vitimus is not one of those. In my opinion, he's the real deal. Um, take that for what you want. Uh, I, I'm pretty pretty impressed with the guy, and I think I can learn a few things from him. That's for sure. Uh, he reminds me in some ways of me, and in many ways completely not me at all, which is an interesting mix, and I enjoy chatting with him. We uh, we talked a bit after this interview uh, went down. I uh, had a pretty good uh, party on uh, Friday night when we had this. Oh, excuse me, Thursday night when we first got this interview. Uh, I hung out with him a bit on Friday. Uh, then, of course, we had the ritual... And uh, that was quite of a... Well, I'll tell you about it in just a few minutes. But first, I want to play some music. Um, sitting here, more than a little ways into my first uh, Stone India Pale Ale. Um, thank you, San Diego. <laughs> Excellent brew. And uh, I'm thinking I want to play some S.J. Tucker. This is from her album, For the Girl in the Garden. And this is one of the albums in which uh, S.J takes a piece of Catherine Valente's uh, fantasy fiction and then writes a tune about it and pairs the two together so that SJ is doing a reading of some of Catherine's work followed by a song about the work. Uh, you've heard that before when I played uh, um, tune about the mice who were seeking enlightenment. I think that might have been episode 14 or abouts. This is another one 
the name of the spoken word piece from Catherine Valente's work is Zamaya, and the tune following it is called Snake Star Song. I'm going to play that, and we'll go back to talking a little bit about Convocation. What a fun time I had. The uh, Chiranzan ritual, which is now kind of infamous, <laughs> at Convocation. And uh, then we'll get to the first part of the interview, because I got so much good material with uh, Andrea that I had to split it across two episodes, just over 35 minutes each. So, looking forward to that. Let's play some tunes. was very beautiful in her white veils, and her black eyes were so deep they seemed to have no pupils at all. Her hair fell past her waist in long black curls, and it shone most curiously in the summer sun, like the smooth pelt of a salamander, and her skin brooked no blemish, nor tolerated a less-than-perfect contour. She did not lower those disconcerting eyes from the king, even when he bound her hand and foot and carried her slung over his copper-studded saddle to his palace, to be his queen. Zemea was kept in a room all her own, accessible only by a passage from the Raja's bedchamber. Before she entered that vaulted space, she turned and spoke to him for the second time. I will consent to this marriage of my free will, and swear an oath not to wage battle against you within your walls. I will bear you seven sons and seven daughters, and they will all grow to be great warriors and beauties famed throughout the wide world. I will avert from you the wrath of the serpent god, and protect your house. But you must grant to me this condition. The king burned for this woman, with her strange hair and lithe limbs. He would certainly grant her this thing, if he could have her without a struggle. On the third day of each new moon I must be free to do as I wish, and you must swear an oath that you will not attempt to see me or come near me on that day. Fear not, I will not leave the castle, nor try to escape you. This is my condition, and it cannot be altered. The Raja agreed with a voice of crimson velvet, and Zemea spoke no more. Years went by like blackbirds in the night. And indeed, the strange-haired woman gave birth to seven sons and seven daughters, each with the same black eyes and thick curls as their mother. Indeed, they seemed to be nothing like their father at all, but took their blood only from Zmea, who never seemed to grow older nor less beautiful. Even when the children were fully grown, each stronger and more radiant than the last, and, true to her promise, all the girls were great warriors and all the boys beauties. She stood among them as a sun among candles. And the king, being a king, kept his word. He busied himself with subjugating the continent and the affairs of state. But his suspicion grew, as each child looked less and less like him, that she spent her new moons in adultery and sin. She was, after all, a heathen and entirely uncivilized. She could not be trusted." The Raja grew purple in the flesh over this fear, made himself ill with it, until he could no longer restrain himself, but resolved at the next new moon to spy upon his barbarian wife and catch her at her crime. And so it was. It was not difficult, since her chamber was connected to his. He crept down the hall as silently as only a practiced assassin can, and put his eye to the cracks in the wooden door. What he saw was a vision from the dream of a demon. 
The room was washed in the sickly light of the dying moon, and it was a mass of writhing snakes, fourteen serpents in their outlandish skin, purples and blues and greens flashing phosphorescent in the night, great curving lengths rising up the stone walls and hissing in some unnameable tongue. They seemed to be every color, iridescent as a dragonfly's wing, and thick as a man's body. The dead light of the moon seemed to feed them, and they danced a terrible dance in its shadow. And in the center was a serpent so vast it made the others seem like a bait for a child's fishing line. Her girth was as a palace column, and her skin flashed in all the colors of a rushing stream at sunset, glowing with a white fire. Her eyes gleamed black upon black, with no pupils at all, and when she saw the peering eye of the Raja at the door, the serpent queen threw her long body into tremors and screamed like the grinding of a granite stone into a blade. There's no black and white to beauty The green sneaks in as often as you look The blue is in the ocean The gold is in my eyes locked in a gaze Did you notice you were on my hook? I wonder not, for here we are Little vipers sing the snake star song in hisses and kisses Double check what you're messing with My prince Keep away or I will burn your evil army down This night is mine And you are not allowed Open my do not complain at the coils of your rude awakening. Wonder not, here we are, little vipers sing the snake star song. In hisses and kisses, don't think you know everything, my king. To my temple, and you shall not leave unchanged. Don't underestimate a goddess when her heart is in your fangs. Come into my temple, and you shall not leave unchanged. Don't underestimate the serpent when your heart is in her fangs. of my death to come I have seen your face and I know you It isn't your tale and your power will spread But the story of how I destroy you oh, There is no black and white to beauty
sisters glad to have you back um, that was two great pieces by SJ Tucker from the for the girl in the garden album uh, highly recommended to you overall very very good actually individually I, there was nothing on the album I, I, I didn't enjoy some of it's actually entered into my own personal meditation tracks SJ Tucker's music seems to show up in a lot of those actually convocation 2010 uh, the theme this year was the tower uh, every year, Convocation has a theme based on one of the tarot decks, Major Arcana, that uh, is appropriate to that time, and the tower is particularly appropriate. It's uh, a spiritual, pagan, uh, magical convention that's held uh, in February in Michigan, and if there's a state that got hit, we're up there. And got a chance to attend actually Andrea Vitimus's class on crisis magic which was uh, very good and uh, also I got a chance to attend his uh, Charonzon ritual Charonzon ritual Charonzon ritual I, I don't know I've heard it re- pronounced several different ways I'm gonna say Charonzon <laughs> and I uh, hope I'm not violating the linguistics too you know badly Andrea Vitimus has definitely passed the smell check with me. Uh, there's a lot of, as I said before, posers. And uh, after attending his ritual at Convocation 2010, which was the Dissolving Edge of Darkness and the Star Ritual was the uh, title, I can tell you I think he's got something to teach me for sure. I'm not calling him out as any kind of a guru. If I did, I think he himself would probably throw something heavy at me. Andrea Vinimus has been living the magical lifestyle for the last 15 years. Not just the lifestyle, he's, he's been all the way in. And very few people go there. Very few people spend the time there. Very few people can hack it. It's not an easy ride. And uh, Andrea's been... I've seen him over the years at Convocation. I mean, he's, he's given a few classes that I've taken in the past on Chaos Magic. And... I have seen him, the best way I can describe it is when you're standing in front of another person who works magic and you you smell the vibe. As you get to know the person over time, you can smell the vibe getting stronger. And uh, Andrea's done his work, and uh, he's got a lot to teach. His book, Hands-On Chaos Magic, is right there in my top five of all Chaos Magic books. Um, In my worldview... Phil Hine, Peter J. Carroll, Andrea Vidimus. Um Also, of course, I include in there Patrick Dunn and Taylor Elwood, but it's in that order. No offense to Taylor or Patrick. You guys got great ideas. Maybe if I got to know you better, I would um, understand you even more thoroughly. 
But Andreas written in Hands-On Chaos Magic probably the single most comprehensive tome on Chaos Magic, all in one place. But to get as much meat uh, in of material, to get as much magical red meat, you'd have to buy, oh, both, say, Condensed Chaos and Prime Chaos and read them together. Uh, or... Peter J. Carroll's Liber Null and Psychonaut and Liber Chaos and read them together. There's a lot of good material here. Not just for the neophyte, um, but for the very experienced magician as well. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're just starting out or you're, you've been in the game decades and you're just looking to polish up your overall game. This is a truly excellent piece of, uh, piece of work. And I'm not getting paid to say that. I just happen to believe it's true, and, uh, you know, I am impressed enough with Andrea's work that I'm planning on attending his uh, boot camp at the end of May. I believe it's the 20th, the 29th, and the 30th. It's just the last weekend of May, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's in Twin Lakes, Michigan. Um, I have talked to several people who have already attended it, and uh, they're highly impressed. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to read to you what my uh, blog entry on the Chiranzan ritual that he ran give you an idea for what it was like. It's entitled Andre Vitimus Convocation 2010 and the Chiranzan Ritual. This is for all the friends who are asking about the dissolving edge of darkness and the star ritual that I attended at Convocation 2010. The books are correct when they say you never walk out of a powerful ritual of ceremonial magic understanding everything that happened. I had seen something, but it took me a little time, distance, and a good night's sleep to fully understand what the frack had happened. Did I mention this was my first real ritual with other people? I could do some pretty kick-ass stuff as a solitaire, and I've been to a few small demonstration rituals. But I had never really done anything in a true public ritual. But I know I need to learn to work in concert with others. Even if it never becomes a major focus of my magic, I know I will understand a side of it I can never learn alone. So, might as well jump into the deep end of the pool. I know how to swim. Now, I assume that when several of the ritual participants are either fully catatonic or walking around stunned and half-blind after the ritual, some serious shit hit the fan. Andrea closed the ritual, released the guardians, and banished while stumbling and needing support to stand. But his voice never wavered. Surprisingly powerful and musical. Tone deaf, Andrea Vitimus is not. Now, I know when someone is snowing me about being exhausted by their workings, or drained by their great mystical powers. He pulled through that ritual closing with more willpower than muscle strength. For anyone who likes to debate the fact that willpower is of any use to a magician in magical working, well, you had to be there. I know from personal experience that sometimes your will is the only thing that holds you up when the toll of a truly powerful working hits you like a cinder block wall. If you can hear my kitty in the background, uh, don't mind the purring. <laughs> she has decided she needs love. I saw that wall and several of its cinder block pals hit Andrea when he came back from that summoning. 
to use a crude but very appropriate vernacular. Summoning Chiranzan is not for pussies. The whole thing took enough out of him that he has promised never to perform that ritual again. And I, I don't say as I blame him. I don't have permission to detail exactly what happened there, but the public descriptions of what the ritual was all about gives me plenty of room to tell you plenty. Cat, please, away. A brief word about Chiranzan is needed here. Most occultists have a limited understanding of this demon. Their only solid reference being Crowley's telling of his experience evoking the demon in the Sahara Desert with his occult companion, Victor Benjamin Newberg, poet, writer, and occultist. But even this story has a shadow of confusion, for Newberg has some serious disagreements with Crowley about exactly what happened on that day in 1909. According to Crowley, during the ceremony, the demon of dispersion broke the triangle of evocation by throwing the desert sands over it, instantly compromising it. Then, Chironzon attacked Newberg, quote, in the form of a naked savage, unquote, and he had to fight him off at the point of a dagger. Interestingly, the original pages of the account are torn from the relevant journals. Years later, Crowley wrote in Lieber 418 considering the incident. The greatest precautions were taken at the time, and have since been further fortified, to keep silence concerning the right of evocation. To quote our friends at Wikipedia, Chiranzan is deemed to be held in check by the power of Goddess Babylon, inhabitant of Bina, the third Sephirah of the Tree of Life. He is the personification of the abyss, all things and none, chaos, possibilities, insanity, illusion, obsession, dissolution, brilliance, dispersion, forms without end. This is Chiranzan. Many feel that Crowley might have been standing in the triangle of evocation as a channel to Chiranzan during the ritual. Wow stupid! Many also feel that the encounter in the Sahara Desert was the beginning of the spiral downfall of Crowley. Many chaos magicians think that the entire spin on Chiranzan as being an evil entity is a bad rap. Understanding the concept of endless possibilities, nothing being true, and everything being permitted gives this new guard of chaos magicians a different perspective on Chiranzan. Many of them view him as a personification of possibilities, change, and primal chaos energy. They feel that Crowley's viewpoints are clouded with a predisposition toward viewing chaos as an evil force rather than something as elemental as water or fire. So, to sum up, Chiranzan is supposed to be a big, bad, powerful, chaotic, uncontrollable demon. Why are we evoking him again? Well, the theme for Convocation this year was the tarot card, The Tower. For those unfamiliar with the tarot, allow me to quote Paranormality.com. Quote, Disruption, conflict, change, sudden violent loss, overthrow of an existing way of life, major changes, 
disruption of well-worn routines, ruin and disturbance, dramatic upheaval, change of residence or job, sometimes both at once, widespread repercussions of actions. In the end, enlightenment and freedom. End quote. Well, keep in mind, this is Michigan, and frankly, uh, a lot of people's towers are falling down. Uh, all of that disturbance, loss of job, change of residence, all these things are happening all around us. The city of Detroit's uh, real unemployment rate is considered to be 50%. The idea was pretty straightforward. If you hate the overall direction your life has been heading, then let's knock down that fucking tower. Smash it. Burn it. Blow it up. Bring it all down. Tear down every piece of your reality. Dissolve it all with the power of the demon of dispersion and start anew. Melt it away. Release Chiranzan back to the abyss and rebuild your everything. Now, it was stressed several times before we started that if you happen to like how your life has been going, get up and leave. Stay if it presently sucks so bad that nuking it all and starting from the beginning is a good move. I was looking forward to it. Earlier in the day, a very close guide of mine spent a great deal of time stomping around, breathing fire, and generally making loud and angry noises about the approaching ceremony. So, before I left for the ritual, I took a few quiet moments alone in my hotel room to trance out and ask him what the fuss was about. He generally doesn't say much, and I have never seen him in that state before. As it turns out, he was apparently more than a little worried. So I asked him point blank whether he truly felt I was in serious danger. A snarled response of something like, you're going to do what you're going to do was what I got. So I went. As to the particulars of what happened, well, it's not my information to release. It was Andrea's ceremony, and you can ask him. But I can tell you what happened to me. I didn't feel at first that I was going as deep as I wanted. But we were all laying on the floor during the ceremony, and I was having back spasms for the first 15 minutes. Note to self, a Gatorade before rituals. Eventually, I was able to mentally soothe the cramps and catch up with the rest of the group before the actual pathworking and evocation began. At the peak of the ritual, I did achieve what you could call a strong, altered state of vision, sounds, and tactile response. I was wandering through rubble, searching for my tower. I wanted to bring that fracking thing down, and I couldn't find it anywhere. The frustration actually started to allow the psychic sensor reflex to begin, until I realized I was having a vision of some sort. Maybe I couldn't find my tower, but I was pretty sure that the rubble-covered hill I was wandering around on was not in the room when the ritual started. The frustration banked down, and I decided to just relax and run with the odd vision to see what would happen. I heard a voice somewhere behind and above me say, Look up. Stop staring at the ground. 
I raised my gaze and really saw around me for the first time. All around me there were dozens of tall white towers. Everywhere stood these towers. Some in flames, others crashing down. Some only had tilted at first, but as I watched they slowly toppled and crashed down into rubble. Everywhere around me I saw the abyss claim the old. All while the demon king of the abyss spoke gently into my ear with a remarkably gentle but powerful voice. Do you not see? Do you not behold the towers crash into rubble? I nodded yes. What do you find at your feet? I looked down to see all the rubble. Look behind yourself. I turned to see something I can only describe as a series of scenes out of my life over the last several years, mixed with symbols I can't explain with words. Just typing this part is enough to cause me to pause and breathe deeply. The experience still resonates so loudly. I saw every part of the disintegration and death of my youthful faith my first marriage, my career, my father's death, the loss of my income, my savings, my credit, my dreams, most of my friends, my pride, my joy, my focus, and finally, even my faith in myself. I saw myself down on my knees, crawling forward, uphill and bleeding all the way. Eventually I saw myself stumbling to my feet as I crested the hill and I tumbled forward into a storm of dirt, sand and howling winds. I could see myself walking through this windstorm, my skin being stripped from my body, sand blasted away. Finally the winds died down and I watched myself trudging forward, but with a firmer step. Your tower has already fallen. I already know you. I came out of the ritual off-center for a while. I had a unique emotional paradox of a strange sense of directionless frustrated anger and a mellow deep satisfaction all at once. Some participants never got up off the floor. A girl near Leslie, who came in with me to the ritual, had to be lifted to her feet and assisted, apparently completely dead weight and unresponsive at first. It took a while for them to bring her around. However, I have never felt better. <laughs> I have been singing all weekend. I can now sing the entire Paul Mitchell song, Far Better Pagan, a cappella, without any notes, and almost stay on key. I needed this weekend. I met more than a few people I already can tell are going to be players in my immediate future. I'm not sure how, why, or even if it's a good idea yet, but I do know they'll be there. I will be attending Andrea Vitimus's Chaos Magic Boot Camp this May. I am seriously looking forward to that. 
I will be posting some links and more information if you're interested in attending this event in Twin Lakes, Michigan. I took the time at the convention to chat with several people who have attended previous boot camps and heard nothing but hugely positive feedback about the experience. And that's the end of it. So, that's my first experience with Ritual. I can tell you that since then, there's been all kinds of interesting stories floating in. Uh, it's early days yet, but uh, there's been talk of disembodied voices. Uh, you know, I heard some hysterical laughs going on during the ceremony, but I couldn't tell. I thought they were from the participants. As it turns out, apparently none of the participants can lay claim to that, and nobody can pinpoint in the room where that laughter was coming from. There have been burns, um, there's been disembodied voices, uh, scratches, bruising, I guess. Uh, lots of physical manifestations on people there. And it seems to have had, at least just in my limited perspective, and I certainly haven't talked to even half of the people that were there, but uh, you seem to either come out of that ritual completely charged up and ready to tackle the world, which I'm still kind of riding that high, or you came out shell-shocked and stunned and needing to completely reassess everything. And either one's not a bad thing as far as I'm concerned. Let's play some music. Uh, what do I want to pull up here? This is a tune by Gibbon the Troubadour. Uh, Gibbon does a lot of good stuff, uh, and he does a lot of stuff with a nautical theme back from uh, the Middle Ages and later. Uh, this is a tune about a merchantman and the crew, and it's called Blow Ye Winds Blow, and it's off of the album Tillerman's Rye. Uh, Gibbon the Troubadour, man, this is one of my favorite artists ever, had a huge impact in my life over the years. Uh, Gibbon's work has always been a sign in my life. Blow Ye Winds Blow. Get to the scud speed, you're safe from the clutches of foes. Blow gay winds blow, we got the weather boys fastin' away with the night as we go. We got two jibs strong, billowed holding fast, six square rigs strung high in the mast. Blow gay winds blow, gather together your wits, be thrashed if your spirits run low. Blow ye winds blow, we're healing leeward eye here for the night when we take her too low. Blow ye winds blow, we're healing seaward all away from the shoals as we keep her in tow. Every lad's on deck as we haul it through, every lad on deck be tried and true. Blow ye winds blow, our captain whispers his hands clenched tight, drenched with the bow. Blow ye winds blow, gather your tethers, God speed, you're safe from the clutches of foes. Blow ye winds blow, we got the weather boys fast and away with the night as we go. We got two jibs strong, billowed holding fast, six square rigs strung high in the mast. 
blow, ye winds blow, gather together your wits, be fresh if your spirits run low. Gather together your wits, be fresh if your spirits run low. Gonna play In the Circle by Hungry Lucy. Play the interview and uh, carry it out with SJ Tucker. See you next time.
we're sitting here with, um, I want to get this pronunciation right, Andrea Vitimus. That's good. You did it right. Finally, man. I, it's the name of my cousin, so now I've got a reference point. We can go from there. Um, we're sitting here at Convocation 2010. Uh, have a little chat about uh, Andre's work, uh, his book, Hands-On Chaos Magic, uh, the workshop he's got coming up in May in Midland, Michigan. Is it Midland? It's Twin Lakes. Twin Lakes. I'm sorry, near Midland, but Twin Lakes, uh, Michigan, and that's the week of the 18th. Last weekend of May. Last weekend of May. Excellent. And it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Even though I screwed up the con flyers and put it with Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, but that's okay. Hey, yeah. you know, whatever. It all gets fixed. It's chaos. That's right, chaos magic. This is my excuse for never getting my show notes done. Hey, chaos magic. Chaos magic, right? <laughs> right. Now I know we 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 had a discussion, and I have to admit your semantics were correct. I, I tend to refer on the show to chaos magic as a paradigm, and it's actually more of a meta paradigm, uh, which I believe we had that conversation. I have to admit that is a better way to refer to it. Well, you have to remember that there, and I say this, and you can't always tell this when you're reading the internet notes. But for those of us who've been sort of in chaos magic more than five minutes, um, it really isn't a paradigm because there's no set of beliefs, there's no set of gods, there's no set of techniques. Ideally, there would be no set of cultural artifacts that make up chaos magic because ultimately it should just be an attitude towards how you're interfacing with magic with the understanding that any worldview or any set of tools in that worldview is a belief choice. Okay. In which case, by definition, it can't be something in itself because it, by definition, would have to go to other things. Even things that you might make up, paradigms that you make up yourself, or mm -hmm. belief systems. Or like a lot of the pop culture magic going around. A lot of pop culture magic. Yeah, I'm guilty of it. I love I'm it. I'm guilty of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it I works. Last year at this very, not last year, was it last year at this very event, I did a Pokemon class. Right on, yeah. And and like, although like I, I got flat from some hardcore occultist, like, do you realize that like multiple kids I've heard of took the stuff the adults learned in that class and were doing it for like years, like months and months and months, having these little Pokemon thought forms going around and getting results. So maybe the adults just were too serious and the kids got it to work just fine. I, you know, the imagination of the young is one of the strong things and, and the Pokemon is more real to a lot of the kids these days than any old god that you care to pull off a dusty bookshelf. I, I think I've mentioned it in the podcast before. I, I have a personal uh, soft spot in my heart for the character Naruto Uzumaki. It's the only... It's the only thought form I've ever invoked, um, being comfortable, anyways. But, okay, well, uh, let me steer what we... Uh, the audience already knows quite a bit about Chaos Magic. I've, I've talked on and on and on about it, and I, I'd like to hear your start on it, but what I really want to make sure that what something we cover is your work with Voodoo tonight. Because I know that's um, something that you enjoy and you're very good at, and I've got a lot of listeners asking me, well, where do I start with it? Because it is an oral tradition, and there's not a lot of good stuff written down that isn't, oh, what is it, the old white guy who's insulting the native practices because he obviously knows better. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in here. <laughs> I mean, first of all, our house, the Roots Without End Society, has a webpage that has just a ton of, of 
free stuff on there. Roots without end. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the house that I'm part of, and I'm actually initiated at the Sawa level, which is basically a high priest level. Okay. Um, which means I have this son, and means that if I would take people down to Haiti, and I have a place that I could do initiations, that that's the level that I'm at. And we have lots of tutorials on the Roots Without End Society. We have two internet uh, bulletin boards, which sometimes get a little heated because uh-huh. it's the uh, internet. <laughs> it's the internet, and you know, yeah, you know, people act totally different in the internet than they do in real life. But there's also a lot of information that goes out on that, and and Mambo Racine actually uh, puts it out there. Enough, and she's got kids, enough that you can get started. Okay. And really, the place that you get started, honestly speaking, in voodoo, is much simpler than most people think. Okay. It's not, let's get possessed by everything. You don't start there. In voodoo, everything is about the ancestors. So you start with the ancestors. And there's a, a phrase in voodoo that if you get it right with the ancestors, you're more than halfway right in voodoo. Uh, because if you can get it right with how to work with your ancestors and how to serve your ancestors and get your ancestors to start acting in your life, it's very, very similar across the board to working with the law and learning how to work with the law. Now, when you say working with the ancestors, are you talking specific direct bloodlines in your family? Yes. Okay. So we're not just talking about the overarching, you know, arc of history. We're yeah. About- yeah. I mean, in a lot of pagan religions i know they throw on the word ancestors and they mean everyone whoever was before now and and we saw that today at the opening ritual at, at, at convocations it was everything before now voodoo is doesn't take that approach although it could you could get ancestors that are way back you know ultimately when i'm mentoring or teaching people or teaching an ancestor class like i did in adrian a few weeks ago i'll tell people you know what, start with ancestors that you absolutely know loved you. That you have no doubts. 100% love. Because they can kind of act. You get a relationship with them. You know there's unconditional love. You can start. They can start acting as a guide to other ancestors to get things you need in the ancestral occurrence. And you don't have to worry about that spirit lying to you. Right. If you're starting from that... And actually, when I teach them, most of the stuff that you're doing with the ancestors is raising the vibration so that way the ancestors that come to you are actually the ones that are in that sense of love. And if they're coming to you from that sense of love, you're pretty sure they're not lying to you. And you, of course, you don't just set up the altar. You test it. You make sure, hey, I'm getting this good information. Like one time, uh, you know, I did a spell. I basically through the ancestors. And this was recently for me to make a certain amount of money in my classes in mm-hmm. uh, in Hamilton, mm-hmm. which is Canada. And sure enough, you know, it was a little bit of a rough ride. They gave me a lot of information, but dead on the money. And I made about $300 more than I actually asked for out of the class. So what I'm hearing then is... Once you develop a relationship with ancestors and branch out from there, this is a this is a tradition. This is a magical system where the relationships with specific uh, entities, specific archetypes, gods, whatever you want to call them, is absolutely central to everything that you're doing in that system, or at least the majority. 
Yes. Um, your relationships are critical. And like what they would say is even like once you get the answers right, you will have certain relationships with certain with certain Vudan spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, these relationships are different. You can develop other relationships. Voodoo is really a system of forming relationships with spirits. And then not only forming relationships, like feeding that relationship, serving the spirits, but there's an implied exchange always. It is not a system that... It's not that you cannot just be metaphysical and have these wonderful self-experiences. But voodoo is much more about tangible things. It's much more about when you're feeding the spirits that there's an implied expectation that the spirits will take care of you. It's built into the system. It's a notion of fair exchange that underlies everything. So if you feed the ancestors, you honor them, there's a notion that they'll want to help you and not just want to help you in, in a mental way it's Mm -hmm. much more want to help you in a physical way um that's very similar with across the board in in voodoo so it's it's not so much just the personal alchemy of transforming the spirit but the relationships that you build are actually very very focused in some ways on the materialistic plane and making your present incarnation comfortable not just your spiritual level more enlightened that's right Voodoo is very intensely practical of religion. I, um, it makes kind of sense to me from coming from a rough country. It would seem like it was what you would use to get by. Yeah, and the thing is, is it's not that you cannot have those kind of mystical experiences. It's just a system that has a lot more grounding in, in kind of tangible results. And, you know, consistently I've seen voodoo stuff violate the psychological model of magic. Really? Yes. Interesting. I mean, you can't really say that in possession rituals because you're still possibly inside a person's head. Mm -hmm. But the last possession ritual, which I don't remember, but I heard from people that I had two machetes in my side at least six to eight inches in my rib cages. Wow. That violates the psychological, like, model of magic in a lot of ways. Because something is happening where I'm not... a physiological response. Yes. Or more. I mean, however you want to explain it at that point, two machetes in the side. Uh, The only thing in time I've ever heard of anything like that is, uh, I believe, the the variation on uh, Sikhdom. Not not anything quite that dramatic, but they do put themselves into a trance in a public space and insert very large probes through their cheeks all the way through and things like that. A machete, now that's actually a whole nother level there. Right, walking around, smile on my face. Did you did you find yourself in needing to heal for a period of time afterward? Or? No, there wasn't even a scratch. Interesting. And I've put in voodoo rituals, I've done other voodoo rituals that people in the room actually yeah, saw and can vouch for. Yeah, the listeners don't know we have several people sitting in right, here. Right, right. People in the room can vouch for mm-hmm. Where we're doing agoon rituals with fire and the amount of control over fire and consistent pattern of the control over fire was so exact that it was, it became 
it would violate the psychological model of magic. There was something going on. You're, you're spitting rum on two machetes over a fire, and the pattern is the exact same thing. And the minute somebody who wasn't a Hugon touched that and did it, almost set my house on fire. <laughs> sort of fell apart. Right. But, like, because they wouldn't listen to him. Because he's not initiated. Because he's not, they don't have a relationship with him. Um, there's other times, there's a picture on the website, Roots Without End, of my hand in a, about a two-foot flame. Not one blister. How long was it there? I don't know. Gotcha. You, you, were, you were in a full... What, no. I wasn't possessed at that point, but I really don't know at that okay. point, because I was definitely not... You're right. in a different headspace. I've... Been in Chicago, and there's uh, people who can were with me that can vouch for this. We did a La Seren ceremony, mm-hmm. where everyone there, and we didn't. I didn't ask them this because I don't want to like get that post hypnotic suggestion going. Mm-hmm. And um, sure enough, doing this La Seren ceremony at Lake Michigan on the beach, uh, down by Bryn Mawr. And have all the offerings out, and the silver thing that looks like something like a mermaid, but we don't know what the hell it is, is swimming up right to where the edge of the lake would be deep, where it would start going deep. And you could physically see it, and everyone could physically see it. And after the ritual, because I'm not going to say anything, because I don't want to bias this, right? Because I'm right, I, I, I got possessed. Other weird things happened. I was making a run for the water. You know, after the ritual, the first thing people were like, Oh my God, did you see that thing? That thing! What the hell just happened here? Excellent. And I'm like, well, the easiest explanation is that it was a bowie, except for the fact that it would swim back and forth, not like a bowie. It was decisively moving. And it decisively swam back out hmm. when the ritual was concluding. Uh, I've, I've gotten that to happen with a lot of other systems as well. But Voodoo, like, many times will consistently seem to break some of those. It really kind of pushes what... Sure, it's all in our mind in some sort of way, but it really pushes the boundaries on what really is in your mind. What's actually what we accept as a physical physical possibility in our everyday reality? Yeah, it bends the rules. Bends the rules a lot, a lot of the time. I I I need to ask this because this we're talking about this. I've heard it pronounced voodoo, voodan. Uh, I have seen it spelled three or four different ways. Is there a, a proper pronunciation? Voda or voodoo is how it would be said in Haiti. In New Orleans, it's voodoo. And and the New Orleans voodoo spells it two ways. And the Haiti way spells it V-U, not V-U, it's V-O-D-O-U. And just, they're all kind of right, and they're just kind of all sub-traditions. And there's okay. not one voodoo, just like there's not one Christianity. There's probably hundreds. But there's no voodoo pope. There's no voodoo pope, even though people would claim it. Now, in doing a little research on Voodoo and what I'm able to pull down, um, there was actually apparently an acknowledgement by Pope John Paul II that Voodoo was a form of Catholicism. Had you heard that? 
Not that it makes any difference. Really? I thought that Catholicism was a form of voodoo. Well, why not? Wait, I mean, one religion's older than the other one, right? This is true. <laughs> this is true. Well, I mean, from what I understand, it, as, as, as the white man's history book explains it, it's a West African tradition that hybridized with the monotheistic Christian South during the time of slavery. But I've also heard that same explanation for hoodoo. Hoodoo ha- has a lot of voodonic elements to it, particularly Congo spirits. Um, so there is a link there. Okay. Um, and there's uh, definitely in the systems there. Um, hoodoo, at least with Haitian voodoo, has the strongest link to Makaya magic, um, which is a specific form of like kind of voodoo, but it's deals with more Congo spirits from that Congo region. Okay. Um, do you have any text that you can recommend on voodoo? Something that is, you know, something fairly legitimate. Something not so... Uh, Divine Horseman is probably one of the best books. On Divine Horseman. And it really kind of gets you in... Because she didn't set out to be into voodoo. And uh, she really kind of... She doesn't criticize it. She gets into it because of the kinds of experiences that I was talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, when you call, they come. And they don't make... They're not subtle about how they come sometimes. Okay. Well, that's and, good. Sometimes too subtle and you miss it. No, no, no. Having this weird fish thing, putting machetes in your side. <laughs> not so subtle. Fire, fire, hand in fire, you know, not not subtle. <laughs> All right. Um, now, in terms of, and, and I know you can't share with me anything, of course, that is personal, and, and I'm just uh, curious. In terms of a voodoo initiation, is it anything like other magical traditions initiations as you see it? Or is it something unique in and of itself? It probably has some similarities to some shamanic things. I mean, voodoo is far more shamanic. It. The ritual structure of voodoo probably comes from Catholicism, but in its core, it seems more about managing relationships with spirits. Okay. Well, that, that was a big part of Christian magic in the, in the late Middle Ages was you know, spirit interactions, even though it wasn't um, in the form of voodoo. That's well. right, because those popes were so many more demons than any one of us. <laughs> yeah, and using all the guy, names of God to do it. Um. Is there, now you did mention, and I wanted to ask the question, is there any basic things you want someone who's interested in voodoo to know? You mentioned that to have someone to work with a spirit of someone they know loves them. Is there any other pointers you'd like to give a newbie? I mean, basically, set up an ancestor altar, a space. That's really easy to set up an ancestor altar when you're just starting. I mean, you just set up a space that's dedicated to them. You put a white cloth on it, some water, and even that's good enough to start you okay. know and then if you go to the website like mambo racine's website the roots without end that or if you email me you know like or you come to the class with some like i'll do ancestor classes more pretty often like i just did one in adrian michigan for benefit uh to benefit haiti so and in finding out about these classes that you're giving the best place to go is andreavitimus.com yeah okay yeah. I was going to say, you were, um, originally you had mentioned bloodlines, but with ancestry and voodoo, 
what would you say as far as limiting it to bloodlines versus adoption or other sorts of really like if the ancestors believe that you're part of your their family you're part of their family okay um generally speaking like the bloodlines do seem to be the general rule but that's not the case it's really if they consider you family and have those kind of memories they'll they will make themselves known as if they okay. were for that kind of family so it's not it's not one of those situations i, I know a lot of uh, people who are you know old school and traditions feel that if you experiment in their territory with their gods you know that's not you're really right but it's well, always been my feeling that if a god decides to contact you whoever you are they are the ones who decide yeah to they just say yeah i mean i didn't decide i'm gonna be a voodoo priest they made that decision for me and made my life hell until i like said yes to stop fighting it just yes like you know like i didn't i wasn't really gonna work with voodoo and then like they decided we'd like to talk no really we'd like to talk at that point i was like as many of your listeners know we like we could talk about chaos magic i was pretty left-hand path <laughs> really left-hand path not in the silly stupid uh you know not to insult anyone out there but if you're in your mom's basement and you're a satanist i'm going to make fun of you oh i feel <laughs> i lose listeners all the time because yeah. of my smart ass but i mean i was pretty hardcore not so much satanic because that that's somewhat ridiculous to me it's not that satanism's ridiculous it's just if you're praying to lord satan you're not really on the left hand path no he's, <laughs> he's still kind of a different power structure it's kind of like hey i'm gonna let's or you know like when i worked with set a lot it was kind of like Everything starts and ends with set. Okay, that sounds a lot like Yahweh. Okay, yep. I'm not quite understanding how this is self-empowering here. I'm, I'm missing it here. I'm just I'm trying try to explain it to me so I can get it. Uh, and I was much more agnostic and much more... I will do things with my own power. Like, servitors, you know, and I just went through a period where I was... I had, done a bunch of spirit stuff and i was done with it for like six six mm -hmm. months i was just completely like i'm not going to work with any spirits at all they're all lies all the time lies 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 uh so you couldn't find any reliable sources up to that point in the spirit world um some things were reliable but some things were irrelevant i mean mm -hmm. one of my pet paradigms and even though it's oh i dare say maybe blasphemous for a chaos magician to say is this whole fairy stuff that i do but the fairies i work with as many people in this room saw aren't nice and fluffy and um oh, no, i pretty much guys. got my my rituals banned from this one festival because i did this morgan ritual with the unsealy that scared everyone and like you know even though I told them, uh, yeah, it's going to be a death-rebirth ritual, and it's kind of scary, they were so freaked out that the adults, you know, freaked out so bad that I was like the demon incarnate. I'm like, it's a death-rebirth ritual, people, with a lot of theatrical uh, stuff thrown in. But that well, if it scared the hell out of you, it must have been working. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
But that was another one that was not so friendly. But, I mean, I, I was working with them a lot. But how useful are they in a city? And I was living in Chicago. I mean, the power, you can get them to do stuff, but, you know, you know that they're their abilities are limited even by the subcontext of what the things are, you know. Mm -hmm. If you're having a relationship with nature spirits, it's probably helpful to be out in nature. True. I, I Personally, my, my own experience with them isn't deep enough to really interpret anything about them. What I do love about, you know, speaking of the, the, the fairy system, is I do love the fact that when they're calling, well, they're not, they don't call quarters, but when they're calling the guardians, they actually go with the zenith and the nadir. I've always wondered why so many ceremonial musicians draw a two-dimensional circle in a three-dimensional space. Well, that's a misnomer, too. Because, like, if you start doing the ceremonial magic right, if you actually do the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram correctly, you're putting a barrier on four walls and a hexagram in the center of the room, which is goes up and down through infinity. So you're covering your three dimensions in that way. Yes. Okay. But that's if you're doing it. I'm not a big ceremonial musician, so there's big holes in my knowledge there. But you are actually drawing a hexagram, and you are connecting yourself. You're connecting Earth through yourself and Heaven at the same time. So it's like you're connecting downward and upward to infinity with surrounding with the walls to that connection uh, reasserted through the pentagram. So you actually are making a three-dimensional thing, except you're, it's more like four-dimensional because you're, it's infinity in two directions. Mm -hmm. um, and because you're connecting to Earth and God at the same time in that column, it's very, it's very much like you aren't, well, it's very much like you're, you're protected on that level because you're Connected directly to the God line, so I, if you're plugged right into the deity, I or the the divine, not a lot will mess with you, I suppose. Of course, if you just half-ass your lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, that's what you get—a half-ass ritual, mm -hmm. and incomplete banishing if you need it. Now, before I go any further, um, I want to make sure I pull out your book and we talk about this. Um, one of my favorite books, Hands-On Chaos Magic. I have read this through once myself, and then I do my typical thing, which is skipping back and forth, you know, chaos mage. I like to pop back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, you have a lot of the same influences that I do in terms of Carol, and we discussed, um, you, you have a lot of agreement with people like Phil Hine, as I recall. At least, you, Condensed Chaos, I believe, was the first chaos magic book you picked up. Yep. Um, well, you don't write like any of these guys. You don't write like Carol. You don't It'd be write a pretty like pretty crappy book if I did, wouldn't it? Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of of punch out books out there. There's a lot of preset template books. It it feels like somebody took the best five occult books they could find and tried to mix, distill, and, and punch their own out. And I I wanted to to make the point that I enjoy this book. Not just because it can take a person who's on, who wants to learn about chaos magic from the beginning through the intermediate and into higher levels if that's where they want to go. It's almost, it is certainly, the, in my mind, a more extensive piece about chaos magic than anything I've written in one book form from Carol, Hine, Dunn, uh, Elwood, anyone. And You know... A lot of the time, this book took six years to write. That's the first thing. Six 
freaking years. And the second thing is, I, at first I was like, I didn't even want to call it chaos magic because realistically, it, it is the foundation. A lot of the foundation blocks of magic. Unfortunately, Makes most sense. chaos magicians are trying to study the foundations of magic and how it works in general. Except we get a just bad rap that people just throw things together sometimes. But real serious chaos magicians are really trying to understand the mechanisms. And what I saw is I keep going uh, to teaching classes in Chicago, teaching classes all around the country. And you know what people don't have? Any of the basics. Any of the basics. Even at events like this. The door's closed, so I can say that. Although they'll hear it later. <laughs> but even events like this. You know why? Because the basics aren't sexy. No, they're not. And everyone wants to believe they're magists. All the books on chaos magic that are out there are very, very good books. Not all of them. I mean, some of the authors you named, I, I won't tell you which ones I, I've met, <laughs> and we don't get along. But Mage mostly because I think they're like pros, they're literally, uh, I'm kind of funny, and I think they're jerks. Okay. Fair <laughs> like, uh, well, more like they're, look at me. I'm the cool magist. I have so much power behold my beauty and terrifying appearance or whatever i don't know but anyway <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking <laughs> like, anyway i mean you really um the first time i wrote this book it was 150 pages oh well it definitely grew we're into what i believe it's about 350 right yeah you know and no it's 408 maybe it was 408 before but I looked at it and said, this is crap. And you know why it was crap? Because I said, I'm going to start from a beginner mind now. I'm going to look at this from a beginner mind. And just like every other book that I had read on magic, there were so many assumptions that I had to make that I would not be able to do this. Honestly speaking, I would not be able to fill those blanks in. But that's not what I was trying to go for. Like, I was trying to, like, fill in those blanks. Mm -hmm. I was trying to tell people, okay, if you have this book, you can go read The Lesser Key of Solomon and get it to work. If you have this book, you can go to Voodoo Ritual and get it to work. Not That's not insulting those paradigms or systems. Obviously, I like Voodoo a lot. I like The Lesser Key of Solomon a lot. But there's a lot of things that are missing. That yeah. people don't get. And they don't get it. Be, uh, it. Those systems were, in some ways, voodoo is an initiatory system. You know, some things you can't get without experiencing. The Lesser Key of Solomon has lots of tricks. Like, and not tricks, I mean, like, kind of like, hmm. And all the Grim Wars has stuff where you're like, it's obvious they probably put that stuff in there to screw with people and see traps, basically, to keep the unenlightened out or the people who are not in know out little uh internal uh jokes or traps that someone who is already has enough experience to actually use the magic would have encountered by that and they would know better they would kind of be like i don't think so like no way the thing is is that we're now in the 21st century and the time for fucking around is over like we cannot have those books anymore. 
we can't have books that leave out so many details that people can't do this. You know, it's just... Well, we're not getting burned at the stake for it anymore, so it's a little easier not to have to go. Yeah, it. you know what? We're not getting burned at the stake, but we can still get fired from our jobs. You know, like, the thing, the thing is, is like, there's so many books out there that are crap. They're crap. They're crap upon crap, just regurgitating stuff, and they still don't say anything. That when I sat back and said, I could write this book, and I have maybe three good ideas, and that's like, maybe, those are awesome ideas, and that's a good book. Mm -hmm. Instead, I said, I'm a beginner. I don't know anything. I could not get this to work without a lot of assumptions. And started to rewrite it. Started a complete rewrite. Well, I was about three years or two okay. years where I was like, you know, this is just like every other book. Like, I'm making too many assumptions. I'm skipping too many steps. That if I really modeled my own experience of how to do this, I would not have skipped those steps that I did when I wrote it down. Well, I can, I can tell you there's a lot of in, in this book, Hands-On Chaos Magic, that I do not find in other Chaos Magic books, no matter how much I respect them. One is you have a heavy emphasis on repeatability of results, which I just, outside of Peter, Peter Carroll and some of Phil Hine, I don't hear a lot of. Well, um, I could go on and on about that, but I would be ripping out a lot of chaos magicians who probably listen to your show, and I don't want to. <laughs> Fair enough. We won't, we won't go there. I, I admire that part but, of the book, though. But the problem, the reason is the subjective experience is not a result. And I probably will be saying that a lot this weekend. A subjective experience is not a result. It is a subjective experience. You can get that by taking mushrooms, too. Yeah, you can. And usually, <laughs> like... Technicolor. Tech, yeah, it's really fun. I mean, I love mushrooms, but... A subjective experience is not a result. And originally, it wasn't just Peter Carroll saying this. It was Ramsey Dukes. All the people who started, like, the whole chaos magic stuff were all about results. And regardless of what you think of Mr. Crowley, as far as I'm concerned, he wasn't, like, a proto-chaos magician. Everything he said, I just had this conversation with other people. He's saying, I did the gripper ritual on the astral. What? I've read the Agrippa Ritual. You can't do that on the astral. That's making shit up. <laughs> it seems like I, I don't know that much about Crowley. Everybody seems to know more about him than I do because I gave up after Magic Without Tears. I, I couldn't do it. But I, I admire what he did, and it seems that he took about four to five different systems to generate his system of magic and brought them together. I mean, there's there's echoes of Egyptian there. Well, that, I mean, that's... I mean, that's what chaos magicians are more honest about doing now, except we didn't drink the Kool-Aid and call it a religion. Yeah, we don't claim that we have ancient ancestors who were practicing chaos From magic Atlantis. in the cage. Oh, hey, Atlantis. Yeah, that's yes. right. Or, or. If you don't have Atlantis, you, you, you're not in the power source, man. You're not. Is behind clouds, soft and slow. Your mother sits waiting for the light to overflow. But the grays come uninvited, and she shall not have her son. Think about whether you'd rejoice if you heard your chosen one. 
The winners write the history, religion writes the rules The prophecies are nothing when they're mouthed by men and fools We take chances on nothing and hold our secrets high Chances taken long ago gave birth to the Immaculate Sin runs in the family, add it all the way back to we. Fire is only fire, and gods have many names. They'll stone you like a liar if you dare dance in the flames. And know yourself a woman, fear hand in hand with I don't understand. The hate will flow as quick and strong as water from your hand Blood from your baby's wounded hand He came without your asking, no laughter in the summer night But gods and angels come and go just as men And who are we to fight? To know ourselves as daughters and take pride in the phrase Takes courage, strength and wisdom, but they used you Used you up so many ways Ooh, Mary, Mary What burdens you carry A prophet and his mother Both of you insane Ooh, Mary, Mary What scars you Suffered all the slander of these years Hatred, pain and evil Culmination of our fears So next time he calls you baby And belittles all your tears Know your strength is by Below the clouds, God is pink and gold. The maiden sits believing in the lie she's madly told. Fighting back with glances, Mary's chances all dried up and gone. Tell me, boy, would you take your chance to be the chosen one? Carpenter and harlot, unwavering eye to eye to see the other side. Oh, the God.
Free.